Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm uh, Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? Hey, I'm good. I'm on a little vacation getaway in Myrtle Beach, so fantastic. How about you? What's going on? You're always away. I feel like... <laughs> I, thought you were, I thought you had to go back in person here sometime. So, yeah, I'm going in next week now on Monday, oh, okay, so I okay. thought we'd squeeze in one more little golf getaway at the beach. So oh, Very nice. So, last night, we were having a pretty good time, you know, throwing back some beers. I went to the driving range earlier in the day. Rosie, my wife, is like, it's a good thing you guys weren't recording last night because uh, I don't know if you would have been in the state of mind. And I said, hell no, that would have made a great episode. Probably so, our best episode yet, if I recorded last night. Some of our best episodes come after I've had a few, so. <laughs> tis true, tis true. I bet that's like a podcast uh, standard, you know? You always do better after you're, you know, loosened up a little bit. It's probably like a fine bell curve of like, uh, <laughs> you know, one end is the quality of the podcast, the other <laughs> end is, uh, you know, how many drinks you've had and... It's probably like a steep downward trend once you hit a certain <laughs> peak, but you know, it's kind of like golf. It's it, exactly like golf. Exactly. But when you get it just right, like golf, it's, mm. you're, you're playing out of your you're mind. You're humming. You know, you're a little loose, but then you go too loose, then, then your game shot. So I wonder if the same can be said of Rap's job and other operatives in the CIA. You got to loosen up a little. You got to have, well, maybe not Rap. Uh, I don't think Rap drinks on the job. No, no, no. Not much. Not too much. I feel like. We may have only seen him in a few scenes with a drink in hand, a handful very, of times. Very few. Very, we yeah. know that he likes Booker's from like one of the early books. That was transfer, um, yeah. First drink he ever had in the books. I think one other time, you know, he's drinking a beer every now and then. I mean, if, yep. if Rap is going to have a drink, I think, on the job, it, it'll definitely be a beer, low alcohol type thing. He had a beer sitting out on the patio at the Maryland house a couple right. times right. with the fire in the backyard, so... Right. Yeah, not too much though. Probably right in that sweet spot. Yeah, definitely. He's, oh, he's always... well, actually, no. He went on some. He went on some bangers where he was really, you know, under the influence of various substances after losing his wife. We we do know that as well. So true. But he was he had on his the moments. Job. He yeah, had his moments. <laughs> all right. So we uh, have now given away all of our signed copies of right. Of uh, Vince Lynn that Mike bought when we first started this thing, which is great. We have, we've had that many patrons sign up, um, but we're gonna keep the giveaways going, just not with a signed autograph. We might do a T-shirt one month. We might do a Kindle book of your choice, or you know, Kindle wrap Vince Lynn Kyle Mills book of your choice. So, if you're interested in getting involved in that, and want to become a patron, just go visit our website, hit that little orange button, and subscribe. Yeah, thank you very much to our patrons who make this podcast possible and who help support our partnership with Operation Paperback. Every month, we will commit to sending Vince Flynn books and other thrillers in care packages to our active duty troops and veterans. So if you become a patron and hit uh, support this podcast at mitrappod.com, you can help us with that endeavor. So I'll be sending... A couple more care packages this month, since it's the start of May, to the troops. So, we appreciate your support. Yes, 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 yes. What are we covering, though, Chris? Let's jump right into it for today. All right. So, today, we are covering Pursuit of Honor, 
part one. I'm going to go roughly first 33, 34 chapters. Uh, this is the 11th Flynn book, uh, you know, to um, in publishing order. And this is the 10th book uh, with Mitrap in it. And so we're pretty, we're, we're exactly halfway through. We So we've actually covered two more. And so, but we're at, this is the midway point of the Mitrap series. Wow. And we did we pass our our anniversary our one year anniversary of the podcast? Oh, we might have without fanfare. <laughs> we kept saying what it was, and then I just forgot all of a sudden. So hold on, I know I, I kept on thinking like we had started it in March, but no, that's when we had like sort of came up with this harebrained scheme to make this podcast, and then yeah. we ended up missing our own anniversary. So happy one year anniversary! Oh, whoa, 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 Chris! The day we're recording this, April 29th, twenty twenty, one year ago today was the exact date our first episode dropped. Happy one year anniversary, Mitch Rapod. Wow, well, that was not even not even planned. Not even planned to have the anniversary. Snap. You know what? Co- what do they say about coincidences? We mix metaphors quite a bit here, so I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Something about horseshoes be. and hand grenades? Or is that, that uh, something maybe. different? I don't know. Burden? 12 oh. or one half dozen or the <laughs> There's other. like this one line in this book Six where Rap's like not paying attention to Irene when he's like, is it a bird in the hand or two in the yeah. bush? Like, yeah. it's like, what is he talking about there? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? That was such a human moment. You're so right. He randomly said something unrelated and she's like, what? And he's like, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Like, never it mind. Just ha- that's, but that's what happens. It makes the writing so real, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so while funny. you know. We're, let's let's get into this. While um, you know, so far not my not my favorite book, but I will say there are positive qualities of this book that I really enjoy. I think the writing here is top notch, sure. and I really like some of the descriptions and like you know backstories and stuff like that. Plot, you know, we're gonna get into that. So sure, we always kick off these with uh, the good read scores. So this one. Just like a bunch of other ones, have a it's 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 so funny how consistently the score is like four point three two exactly yeah. four point three two. We need like the hundredths, you know, decimal place. Yeah, now we we need <laughs> we're gonna need that, you know, when it comes time for the final rankings, right? And uh, four point seven out of five, Amazon. That's pretty high. Uh, Two thousand reviews ish. It's pretty good. And so uh, the summary goes like this. The action begins six days after a series of explosions devastated Washington, D.C., targeting the National Counterterrorism Center and killing 185 people, including public officials and CIA employees. It was a bizarre act of extreme violence that called for extreme measures, title, on the part of the elite counterterrorism operative Mitch Rapp and his trusted team member, Mike Nash. Now that the initial shock of the catastrophe is over, Key Washington officials are up in arms over whether to make friends or foes of the agents who stepped between the enemy's bullets and countless American lives, regardless of legal consequences. For the first time, Rapp finds himself in a frustrating position of having to illustrate the realities of national security to politicians whose view from the sidelines is inevitably obstructed. I wouldn't say this is the first time he's had to do that. I think he's always doing that. Right. Um, meanwhile, three of the al-Qaeda terrorists are still at large, and Rep has been unofficially ordered to find them by any means necessary. No one knows the personal, physical, and emotional sacrifices required of the job better than Rep. When he sees Nash cracking under the pressure of the mission and the memories of the horrors he witnessed during the terrorist attacks, 
He makes a call he hopes will save his friend. Assage the naysayers on Capitol Hill and get him one step closer to the enemies before it's too late. That's a pretty decent uh, description. He's definitely had to deal with, you know, dealing with these politicians who are inevitably trying to obstruct his his justice. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to kick us off with the theme that I came up with. And a lot of my the theme I came up to today for this podcast is a lot of talk, not a lot of action. <laughs> You're spot on. And we know that does not fit Rap's persona. And I think this book felt a little strange to me as the reader because even rap is so heavily involved in the talk, talk, talk. And it just doesn't work with who he is and what I want to see him doing. Although the opening scene drops us into a pretty awesome and classic, you know, rap um, situation. And I love, it's not the opening line, but in the first chapter, quote, Rap had traveled to New York City to decide the fate of a man. And so that's just like classic Vince. What the heck is going on? Which man is this? There were a lot of loose ends at the end of Extreme Measures. And like Rap's smoking a cigarette, like standing uh, outside a car, like as if he were the driver, so no one would think anything of it. And he's like, if you're doing surveillance, standing on a street corner, you know, looking kind of shady... As long as you have a cigarette in your hand, no one's going to think twice about it. You know, exactly. Oh, just a smoking break for a cabbie, you know, or uh, someone who works, you know, in one of these buildings. And so it's just his spycraft is perfect. And meanwhile, his team is listening in on a conversation across the street. And it turns out it's Glenn Adams, one of the loose ends, I would say, from Extreme Measures of who was this guy? Nash thought he was a traitor, asked Scott to look into him. Yeah, he was mentioned like very offhand by Nash yeah. in the last book, and then we never got any any headway. We even like mentioned that at the end of our last pod or the end of the last Extreme Measures podcast, yeah. like who is this Glenn Adams guy? Um right. But I agree with you. I like the dropping us into so typically, right, with these Flynn novels, we get an action scene or like some sort of very suspenseful scene or sequences very early on hook you in. Yeah. And then you have these back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between yep. either rap and the politicians rap in the, whoever the villain is, the terrorist, whatever. Yep. And then this all culminates in the very end with a very large action scene, a chase, uh, right. you know, I think, I think of like the helicopter scene in, uh, Memorial day Memorial or, day, yep. you know, the, the bombing agent. of the White House, the yeah, chase or, or, or on lethal the agent, the chase scene, yep. right? So here, the action is like this spycraft, and it's trying to understand what this guy was, uh, what he's doing, who is he meeting with, yep. what is he talking about. They know that he's a traitor. They know that he is right. obviously talking to this. So it's Glenn Adams talking to his this old lawyer. college buddy, this lawyer, about trying to do a book deal or whatever. Yeah. Wants to be a whistleblower. Divulging secrets. Like, yeah. cl- very highly classified secrets just in this restaurant. And we know that Rap has now decided, based on, like, one little thing that he said, he's going to take him. Yeah. And he takes him. Yeah. And where does he take him? He takes him to Lake Anna. I'm so excited to talk about that scene and that setting. But before we do, just 
again, you said we dropped right into the action. I love this. When Adams gets out of his meeting where he was just recorded by uh, Coleman and crew giving away all these secrets, he gets in a car and then Mitch, the, the driver just randomly stops on the side of a street and rap jumps in. He's like, hey, buddy. <laughs> and um, and this is what Vince writes about when rap jumps into the car with Adams. Quote, Adams knew instantly who he was looking at. The jet black hair with a touch of gray at the temples. The olive skin and eyes so dark they looked like two pools of oil. They all belonged to none other than the CIA's chief thug, Mitch Rapp. Mitch Rapp was a man capable of extreme violence. So again, you said the writing is a big winner of Vince here. I agree. Like Things like that just get me going. Unfortunately, the plot, I think, is going to drag and kind of fizzle out later on in the book. But you're spot on by saying that some of the writing here is is stellar. Yeah, Especially and, the Lake Anna scene. Yeah. And I guess just one more thing before we get to that. I thought... I mean, yeah, it was cool to see like Mitch in like this whole spy takedown scene, but I'm just used to like more guns and and right. and explosions and or True. something like that. I don't know. I, mean, I guess Vince is trying something different, but yeah, like this this first part really, and I think this entire book really hinges on the loose ends from Extreme Measures, and we're gonna see, we're gonna point this out. I think both of us through the this entire podcast how hard I think it would be to pick up this novel right, right. away. And I, I think like one of the great things about these novels and, and you know, with Brad Thor and uh, with Vince and Kyle, you could pick up one and read it and enjoy it. And if you knew the other Easter eggs or you knew, or like, or Jack Reacher, right. Um, it just makes it better. Lee Child. It makes it better if you have read along, but if you don't, they're almost like standalone novels. You know, if you pick yeah. up Harry Potter book seven, it's going right. to spoil it, right? Right. But if you pick up Rap 20, you know, Enemy of the Gates, or you pick up the third option, like either one are awesome. You know, like they're exactly. both coherent. But not this, this one. one I felt struggled to be not coherent be- just because of how much it relied on extreme measures and all the loose Correct. ends. Yep. And the plot of, of extreme measures. Exactly. And then again, like what Extreme Measures did in the very beginning, it was unbalanced in that it gave you this slew of characters. So unless you know these next few people, at Lake Anna, so they take Glenn Adams, the CIA inspector general, who they just picked up. Um, it's Rap, It's Nash. And then they get there, and Joe Maslick is running security. Doc Lewis is there, who we'll have to talk about. So we get a new introduction to him. Hurley, the old crotchety man, is back. And so I'm just like, I'm digging this cast of characters in a room in this secret facility we're going to learn is where Rap was trained. And obviously, Vince is going to flesh that out big time in the next book. But you can't just jump into that story, right? Like the second scene of the book, and you have six or seven people in a room just shooting the breeze and like playing off one another. It would get jumbled. But of course, I'm loving it because I know Doc Lewis, you know, you know who Hurley is, you know Maz, you know Nash, you know Rap, but that's a lot for a, a new reader. And I, I think like n- like just when you're saying that, not only does this novel read better if you've read the past book, but it also reads better if you've read the next book, right. American Assassin. Because, right. you know, whereas we got an introduction to Hurley in the last book, but at least like Vince did his typical 
two page couple paragraph description of like how bad a Hurley was. So it's like, oh, cool. This is a new character. And we fleshed him out a little bit. Whereas like here we're boom. Maybe we get a sentence about him back in the day, you know, about how he trained him specifically at this farm. Right. Yeah. I guess we, I guess we get a little bit right. Cause he does, he does go into the whole fight and like how yeah. Hurley put him on his ass and stuff like that. And that's, that was so cool to read that and to know, all right, when he's writing this, he is already thinking about, he has yep. the entire backstory of American assassin, like ready to go. I was, I was just gonna say, I see this book and particularly this scene as like the sketch pad. I really think this is where Vince is a hundred percent thinking and committed to the American assassin storyline. And this is like a playground for planting those seeds. Like, I don't think yet I've seen in the writing that Vince was planning to or anticipating a origin story. Every time we got Rap's background, it was those two pages, like you said, and it was enough, right? We heard about Maureen. Yeah, we, heard we heard about, about the Lockerbie yeah. flight. We heard about his training, and it was like, okay, we don't need a deeper origin. But here, Vince pushes the envelope in a way that makes us want that origin. I mean, just look at the foreshadowing to American Assassin uh, that we get with Hurley here. You, you mentioned how he's described. Here's the quote. Watching the old prick hobble across the asphalt driveway, Rap had to admit that he was still a bit intimidated by the man. That's crazy. Someone who still intimidates Rap, like, I want to know who this is. With a bad hip. Right. Yeah, there weren't many guys who could give him that kind of feeling. Rap remembered showing up for training as if it were yesterday. He was in his early 20s. And he thought the best shape of his life after finishing a near-perfect season captaining the Orangemen lacrosse team. There was nothing as humbling as getting your ass kicked by a chain-smoking, bourbon-drinking, 60-something-year-old man who was all cock and bones. <laughs> like, fuck yeah, I want that scene. And boy, does it pay off when we get it. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, I, I totally, When you just said that, I totally agree that like when we got our little whatever a couple page backstory on how he was recruited why he was recruited now i want more it, it wasn't it wasn't like i was itching to get an exactly. entire story about that i mean it, yeah it would have been cool obviously but after reading that paragraph i i want to know what life on the farm i want to know that yep. entire interaction which we get you know we're going to go at length in our american assassin tour de force month next month get ready for June's going to be fucking wild, man. Dude, it's going to be fucking awesome. I'm just like, the same way I just said I think Vince was gearing up for American Assassin, it kind of overshadows this book. Especially even if you though, know it's coming. Yeah. If you know it's coming. Even though when this book first came out, I actually remember reading this one because I was so stoked at the ending of Extreme Measures right. and the hit on the NCTC. I, I remember reading this one and I just thought I was continuing the same story in my right. mind i actually had thought that scene happened in the beginning of this one that's how closely these two books extreme measures and pursuit of honor bled together for me i totally forgot that the hit happens in extreme measures and this is just kind of the the chase and the follow-up it triggered my mind as one big story arc which if you think of it that way i i think i like this book better if i think of it as right. the part two of Extreme Measures and not I, its own I was novel. just going to say that. I was like, if you think about it in terms of how it came out and how readers would have read this, they would have been sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for right. Mitch to do something. Right. And they wouldn't have been let, let down or like, I, get, I shouldn't say let down, but yeah, let down like yeah. I was on the upon reread. 
Same, same. The, like this book is the weakest in terms of reread. I would have to yeah. argue right now. We just have too much to look forward to that we know it's coming. That we that we already know is coming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so. so let's just put a close on the Lake Anna scene, which is, you know, we hear about Rap's training. He's a little intimidated by Hurley, but Hurley worked with Glenn Adams' father, so we get right. another. You know, call back to this, you know, golden age of the CIA and the heat of the Cold War. Wild Bill Donovan ages, as Vince likes right, to always say. Right. And that was Hurley as a younger man operating with Glenn Adams' father. Unfortunately, Glenn Adams has some daddy issues. Um, <laughs> he, he didn't like how the CIA, you know, took his father away from him during childhood or he was tougher on him and kind of just expected him to inherit the family business and... Uh, Glenn Adams rebelled against that and instead used his intellect or, uh, you know, he's very pompous, but what the intellect he thinks is he has that's superior to become a lawyer and eventually maneuver in a political way to get a job kind of. He worked in the CIA initially, he left, and then he got back into the CIA as a political appointee as the inspector general. So obviously someone who's supposed to look for the cracks investigate the bad apples you know and when you see someone like rap and kennedy and you're the the ig you you think you can take them down because you're going to work with the senators and the intelligence committee and all these politicians who want to censor them and you know control the budget and with the fbi to investigate them and glenn adams is ready to just kind of get back at his his dead father and bring down the cia and so yeah i think it takes an interesting person or a certain kind of person to be you know, to like be a cop and work in internal affairs or to be right. in any military of these gov government watchdogs, mi military police. Exactly. It, I would love to like talk to someone who worked in, you know, like the CIA office of, of, of security, like in running counterintelligence against it, their own division. Right. Like, or someone in the FBI, like internal affairs and just, you know, really pick their brain you know, you have to, you're watching your own. And I, I, I understand it's a necessary thing. You, you, you have to have those kind of people or else inherently there's going to be things that are going to happen. Right. But I don't like this Glenn Adams character and, you know, he definitely deserves what he had coming to him. So, so I, I have a friend who you made me think of, he might not be able to go on record for an interview, but he's in the U S army criminal investigation command, the CID. They're essentially like um, the investigators for crimes committed on army bases or by army personnel. Oh, so like N and NCIS before the army? It, it pretty much, right? He deals with some shit, man. Some some of these crimes committed by service members, like horrendous stuff. And like he's got to be there to like weed it out because we don't want to tarnish the reputation of, you know, everyone, you know, the good apples in the barrel to use the the analogy and like. It's a tough job, though, because you're kind of, you're not betraying your own people, but, like, if co crimes were committed, someone, you know, who watches the Watchmen? Like, somebody's got to be there to lay down the law. And right. in this case, Glenn Adams decides to do that as a traitor because he himself is breaking the law exactly. in order to dig up dirt. And, exactly. And he's actually doing something extraordinarily low. He's contracted off to the side one of the CIA's um, technology guys, someone who works for, you know, the R&D and the technology to, yeah, side. Retired. Yeah, who, who's now retired. But he's got him to bug Dr. Lewis. So he, the CIA top psychologist who is assigned to the director, Kennedy, 
a number of other personnel and he's recording the messages. So like, forget, you know, recording someone in the CIA illegally. He's also breaking doctor client privilege by recording them. This includes the wife of the director of the clandestine service, Chuck O'Brien. And so Glenn Adams has some real deep shit that he could potentially use as a weapon. Yeah, and I, I like this whole idea of, all right, so initially you think Rap, Rap's just going to kill him, or Hurley's going to kill him, and then Rap at the last minute like puts his hand in front of it. Do you think that was an act, or Rap actually wanted to stop Hurley from killing him? Because I, Lewis says that was a really, you you couldn't have played that off better than you did. So yeah. was was that the intention, or did Rap actually step in and save his life? I think that was one of those moments when something happens so quickly and you you couldn't even fake it if you tried kind of thing. I, I got the sense through Vince's writing that Hurley was seriously going to kill the dude. Right. Um, That's what I had, thought, too. He was within his rights to do it when he heard about these tapes being recorded. But well, no, that, that they didn't know about second, that yet. They didn't know about the tapes yet. That's true. They didn't know about that, but they, they knew just he knew was that a he was he was he, he was a traitor. He was squealing on on them. Yeah, yeah. And and so Hurley was going to pop, and then Rap Rap thought to stop it, to be like his savior, to then go in and play good cop. So yeah, um, I don't know. I think I think he was going to kill him. I think Rap saved his life for the time being. Well, I, I guess they they knew that he had more information, or they wanted right. to get like Hurley wanted to just get it done, but exactly. they knew they could potentially get something more out of him. And there was a longer play. There was a longer play. They were like, Oh, let's try to turn him." Yeah. I, I like Maz, like this quiet giant. Uh, he comes in he's like, let's, let's turn him." Yeah. Um, let's do it. Yeah. And then let's make him an agent. As soon as they find out what he actually did and that he was the leak to the New York times or Washington post, whatever. in the last story that God Johnson killed Maz looks like, fuck turning him. We're going to, I want to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I do want to, the last thing I want to point out from this whole like Anna scene is Nash. Okay. When we first mm-hmm. see him, he has a Baltimore Orioles hat on. He's cracking. And he's laying on the couch with the hat over his face. Yep. He doesn't want to do this. No. He says it's not worth, he, he like chimes in, but is it worth killing him? Like, you know, or should he be, you know, killed? This, and then, so preceding this, we get another interaction with Mike and uh, rap, rap in the car, yeah. Where he's like, "I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Like, we shouldn't be killing our own men." I thought this was an interesting turning point, you know. And I think I know now. I see where this is going, and we we're gonna right. flesh this out a little bit more in the next couple of minutes. But I really thought, in extreme measures, Vince was setting up a key secondary character to be very like a, a Mitch rap 2.0 almost, you know, right. A little bit different than Scott, but you know, and not, not quite Mitch, like, you know, sort of in between. And then we get a, we get a 180 here, man. Yeah. And it's almost like Vince just wanted to get rid of him. Like he created this character, didn't like where it was going. And now I'm going to write him off screen. And then I think after this, we're going to find out he's only in one more book. Yeah. And his wife, his wife is mentioned in Total Power, but not even him. Not even him. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. He's not wrong, right? In that he would have been all in with rap of taking these terrorists 
He was. You saw him interrogating people in the last book, you know, who had their hands dirty, right? But in this case, he's saying, this is an official, a political pointee of the American government, and if we feel we have the evidence of him as a traitor, let's actually prove our system works. Let's let's right. use the FBI. Let's make a case. Um, but they snatched and grabbed him, which Nash would have no problem doing to a terrorist or um, an enemy combatant you know, or a non-U.S. citizen. But they did it not only to a U.S. citizen on U.S. soil, a relatively high political appointee. And so I, I don't disagree that Nash as a family man with with a family to protect realizes this is this could put me in prison for the rest of my life like yes he's cracking yes he's changing but it's not out of character it it fits with his character that raps yeah. going to realize like shit we we have to do this black ops stuff like hurley me scott are cut out for this but that's going to flip the switch in raps mind that mike isn't cut out for it not because he can't handle it but Mike's in a position with his family where he shouldn't have to handle it. And so I think cracks like that, while a 180 for sure, it actually fits in the arc that that Mike is on. It does, but I, I think if Glenn Adams is, you know, Kareem, he has no problem going to jail for that. No problem going to jail for that. You're right. But Kareem doesn't work for the U.S. government. Like... I know that's what I'm saying. Like he, he, he has, and he, he was built up to be this guy who rap recruited him. He's, he's a really good agent in the CIA who has these, you know, he was a Marine. He has these field ops. Yeah. Yes. We got a little bit, a glimpse of his PTSD in the last novel when he like wakes up from that dream where, where rap like saved him over there yeah. uh, in the cush as a, uh, as rap says a couple of times in this novel. But, I don't know. I just, I didn't enjoy the progression. I just felt like it was very rushed. Like this, uh, this quickly he broke. I mean, I guess, all right. So the counterpoint here is he just saw a lot of his friends die. Jessica, his assistant, shot in the forehead, right? And and we know Rap doesn't, is not, is not an office man. You know, he he knows these people, but it'd be different if it was Scott. Or it was Anna, you right. know, like like it was Anna, you know, right? Uh, or if it was Nash, you know, like I'm I'm pretty sure it'd be different, but you know, he doesn't know, or Irene, right? So, so you think you think that was a little rushed in that Vince knew where he was going, the storyline of rap getting him, you know, the accolades and the credit and pushing him out to take care of his family, and so it just felt to you a little jarring that Nash would 180 sitting on this couch be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't interrogate a U.S. citizen. Is just a little too forced. Yeah, especially because one, we find out that this guy is probably the reason why Chris Johnson died. So, and and then you know part of the reason why the attack got sped up or you know whatever yeah. accelerated. So, because that was like what Lonsdale was doing, and that but, Lonsdale hindered it. So I, I think like rap, I think actually rap. Nash would be even more upset at this guy. You're uh, you're right, and I see that. But not everybody's rap, and it's okay that we now have a character who can get his hands dirty, but isn't going to as easily or as willingly and as often. And mm. I'm okay that Nash fits that fits the bill. And here's the other thing. Rap makes him pay for it. <laughs> as soon as Nash keeps up this game and keeps questioning, and they're on their way to a meeting, they think, with the president, and Rap realizes, oh, shit. I, I mean, I've talked to the president. I was... he. 
he um I met him, you know, went right when he took office and he said, Go after these fuckers. So Rap's like, I got a relationship with the president. He realizes Mike probably never met a US president. And Rap's nervous about his state of mind in being that, unhinged. Yeah, he might say something exactly. like what are we doing here? You know? Yeah. So he pulls him off to the side of the road. And I like, you know, Rap always adjusts his tactics. I said this, I think, in one of our interviews. Besides just the badassery and being always one step ahead mm-hmm. and Rap being able to read a situation in the moment, he has another quality, which is adjusting his tactics to the audience. And in this case, he's got Mike Nash, a Marine. And so he starts using Marine like jargon and lingo and orders and commands. You know, he takes off his CIA hat of like, you work for me as like a employee of an organization. And he puts on his, I'm your commander. You're my Marine, you know, and and Nash is cracking so much. He's like, quit the Marine bullshit. I know what you're doing. And that's when Rap's like, yo, if you don't settle and you don't go home, you're not coming to this meeting. I'm going to knock you out. And right there on the side of the GW Parkway. He flattens him. Though, you know, I got a, I got a nitpick here. Did you notice that he pulled over to the shoulder on the GW Parkway? Here's the problem. There is no That's shoulder. a very narrow two-lane highway with usually brick retaining walls or woods right up against. There's no shoulder. Maybe he maybe he pulled over one. They do have like scenic overlooks. Maybe he was in a, a, one of the scenic overlooks. The only reason I thought of that was... If there's ever an accident or a cop pulls somebody over on that highway, the traffic sucks because it's down to one lane. There's just nowhere oh, else to pull off the highway. That lane is a shit show. That I love that highway because it's it's nice to like cut over from Bethesda to to Pentagon yeah. City and it's really easy. Um, but yeah, no. If there's there's an accident, the thing is screwed. But so anyway, yeah, I, I just love the idea of watching rap just lay out Nash on the side of this highway. If I were driving by, it's just I know. If I was there. driving oh, by, what, what would I say? <laughs> Because it it looked like a it sounded the way that it was described not sounded well I was listening to it on audiobook but the way that George Goodell was reading it it sounded like Usman knocking out Masvidal or something like that you know like this this badass UFC takedown so yep and I love whenever those things are happening it, there's always like this little line or phrase like Nash knew he couldn't you know compete with rap or he was just just slightly below his level like. Nash would keep coming, even though he knows. And even when Scott, if Scott go, uh, and, and Rap ever go at it, it's always this little note of, like, everyone who comes up against him willingly knows they're a step lower and they're going to they're gonna lose the battle. But they try. Got to have the fight in you. Unless you're Louis Gould. Unless you're Louis Gould. Then you think you're better than Rap. Right. You think you can one-up him. Well, how'd that turn out, Louis? We'll find out. <laughs> we will find out. The last man is a-coming. All right. Is there anything else we wanted to talk about from Lake Anacine, or do you want to move on? Well, no. I think I think let's let's get to the terrorists because okay. we liked them in the last book. It was a winner, I think, of how Kareem was training, and yeah, definitely one of the more compelling. Mm-hmm. You know, like you got more of a backstory. You understand his motives. He's a you know very detailed military. He's a good leader. You also have this other character in, in his best friend who Hakeem. I don't know you. Yeah, Hakeem. Do you want do you want to say that you we like him as a reader because he has yeah. these like remorseful like things? I mean, yeah, he's still like fucking helping people die, but like he shows like some heart, and and we see that even more in this book, right? 
He, I actually am going to go a step further. Forget liking him or not, right? He's a fucking terrorist. But true, true, I will true, say true. this. He is one of the most complex characters Vince ever wrote. He's definitely one of the most complex villains Vince ever wrote. Because we're on the second book now, and I'm still bought in anytime Hakim is not on a monologue, but we're inside his head. I mean, he's watching his best friend, almost his brother, get radicalized to the point of being a fundamentalist who doesn't see the bigger picture. And Hakim was his buddy, right? Fought alongside him in Afghanistan, was just as, you know, willing to to fight the infidel. But at the same time, he's lived in America and he understands uh, our society a little bit more. And he realizes guys like Kareem are going to ruin it for them. Right. Uh, he realizes like American sensibilities and mannerisms and body language. And that's why he was in charge of the escape plan. But Kareem starts changing things because of his ego. And to have Hakeem wrestle with that, to see how fundamentalism can totally ruin someone he thought he knew and trusted, makes Hakeem question those very fundamentals himself. Um, is this Allah's will? There's a lot of times Hakeem is seriously asking. And can you imagine if we get to a point where people who have been radicalized could start asking those questions of like, maybe this is not what Allah wants. Maybe because it's happening this way and things are going wrong, maybe we do have to step back and reform. I'm not saying all these terrorists can be reformed or deserve any sort of redemption. In some cases, absolutely not. But I think Vince is willing to say Hakim might be on a path that could lead to some sort of eternal redemption. It's a long, arduous journey, and I think that's why we've been in Hakim's brain for so long. But like he's recalling his grandfather and Marlin fishing, and he has a copy of Hemingway and the Old Man on the Sea with him. Like I think it's really cool to have a terrorist who fought in Afghanistan, like 10, 15, 20 years later, reflecting on memories with his grandfather, reading Hemingway, and wondering if everything he thought he knew was actually wrong and he was brainwashed and it's all a lie. And he's going to stand up to his best friend who he knows can kill him at any time, who's on the wrong path. I think that's compelling. Yeah, he's definitely the most fleshed out villain I think we've gotten to date. Like yeah. we fully understand his motives and we're seeing this I don't want to call it a redemption arc because I I don't ultimately he he achieves redemption but no. You know, like I was really intrigued by the scene where he goes to pray and he says yes. he starts like talking to uh to, to God and he says it's it's not like he's not really praying, he's asking him questions. He's more having a conversation with him. Like, is he doing the right thing? And I totally agree with you that Vince is through this character is trying to project something, maybe wishful thinking. Maybe this is the way to eradicate, you know, not by overtaking them, but like really instilling in people that this is not, you know, doing what they do. What uh, Kareem ultimately performed in the last uh, book. That's not the way to, go about doing your actions, right? Right. Uh, there's this interesting thing that Brad Thor says in a, in a couple of his novels, how it's not going to be like Christians or Americans who overtake fundamental Islam or, you know, the, the terrorists that are involved in the religion. It's going to be moderate Muslims that right. have to step up right. and 
you know, and I, I don't want to get too far into like the politics or the the religion of Islam, but a lot of the Quran is very is 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 very peaceful. And like when you read it, like I have in I took a religion class, that like comparative religion class in college, and it I, I guess like a lot of different religions. You you can do the same thing for with any fundamentalist group. With exactly. any fundamentals, they're gonna pick quotes. Like people yes. can pick quotes from the Bible that right. are gonna suit their needs. And yep. it's the same way with the Quran. It's the same way with the Constitution. It's the same exactly. way with with any sort of, or you know, like Lenin and Marx or Engels and Marx. Right? You're gonna pick things that suit your ideology that that, yes. that uh, illustrate your point without like actually looking at the entire piece. So, yep. and Hakim is starting to see that bigger picture and, and and starting to understand that as he watches his friend go the complete opposite direction. And like you said, rap actually makes that same argument, right? Rap in the interrogations says, I memorize the Quran. I can recite passages to you in the Quran that disprove exactly killing exactly. people is what Allah wants or carrying out your attacks is actually going to save you. He goes, I know the Quran inside out better than you do. And he tells them this in interrogations. But I think it could be a non it could be a zero sum game, right? Of back and forth. I'm right about my interpretation. No, I'm right about my interpretation. But I think Hakeem and his complexity and his journey that he's on is is kind of a, maybe not escaping that zero-sum game, right? But at least showing that there is a path forward for some people. Yeah, no, definitely agree. And so we get these sort of every third chapter, every fourth chapter, these scenes with the two of them and um, their buddy Ahmed, right? Where they bought a house in Iowa, and Akeem has thought of everything. He he got a lawyer to purchase this house that's on this big plot of land. They're gonna they have a bunch of food and provisions, and then yeah. they have motorcycles that they're gonna wait out a month and then drive down on motorcycles, you know, to Canada or to Mexico. And he's even thought about like if they have to go on somewhere else, they have this RV where they can. And they have a plot, but Kareem's stubbornness and wanting yeah. to, you know his paranoia ultimately is going to be his downfall. And the reason why they don't, they don't succeed in the end of this novel. Right. Yeah. It starts off with the killing of, uh, that was such a, the father such and a son. tough chapter, man. It was, we get this like short little chapter, just a son and his dad, or a dad and his son wanted to take him out for one last Turkey hunt before he goes off to college. And then yeah. in the very next chap chapter, we see them, He's just coming up, ask him, can you hunt? Like, I've, I've done that twice so where, close. like, I just walked up, you know, do you mind if we hunt on your land? Like, and then Kareem's got it under control, or Hakeem's got it under control, and then he just pops him. That was that was tough to read that. <sighs> Very tough to read that. Yeah. I don't know. I know they're just fictional characters, but I just, I, I, I found myself yeah. getting, like, super emotional for that. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. It was powerful, and and I knew that. You know when we get this cutscene and we're in a new chapter and it's like, oh, some father is sneaking his son out before school, even though the mom won't like that they're playing hooky. I was like, who are these people? And I'm like, wait, this is a setup. Yeah, no, these you're, are you're characters little... who are going to encounter the terrorists. Yes, and something tragic's going to happen. I'm like, damn it! As soon as so, I was bought into. It's like your spidey sense goes off and it's like, oh, he gonna die. He gonna yeah. die. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. At, like total power. I, uh, Kyle got that right with yes. that father and son who chopped down the tree mm -hmm. to stop him. 
on the road, but then rap oh, and, and look at the difference. Rap didn't have to kill them to get away. He really exactly. didn't want to. He didn't. He didn't. I think he gave him some food or something. He's like, guys, I just need the Tesla. You guys can take everything I have, all the money and food and, and go. But yeah, that was tough, man. It, because Hakeem had it under control. He knew the Americans. He was sensitive to the context, the situation. He's like, context. Context is everything, right? This is a teenager. And and Hakeem's like, Americans don't use teenagers the same way our people do, right? Like Kareem looks at this and he's like, a teenager must be a plant. They're training him to be an FBI agent. Come take us down. And Hakeem's like, no, he's just like a 17-year-old kid. They don't do that here. Right. But Kareem was like, he's a plant. He's a cop. They're going to go snitch on us and shoots him in the back. And I'm just like, yeah, that was tough. That was it just tough. shows the difference between Hakeem and Kareem. And it makes you want to root for Hakeem. Like as bad as he is and what he's done. You're at least want to root for him. And then immediately following up that, we get, you know, Kar- another ass kicking. Beat, almost beaten to death. And like very reciprocal to like yeah. these like Rap dueling scenes of, of Rap and yeah. Nash on yeah. one side, you know, and then Hakeem and Kareem on the other side. And so he's he's down for the count. They flee in the RV. They've torched the, they think they've torched the barn in the house. They're not sure of the bodies. They're not sure. Like you, you can just see it's all They're lining up for failure. They're making, They're making mistakes, mistakes left and right. Yeah. When they Make haven't mistakes. made a single mistake yet. Exactly. But I guess, the, well, no, their arrogance. first mistake was letting that, that little guy, Abu, I forgot his last name, but Abu, Abu bin Bas from the last, in the last novel, like letting him survive. Like true. that was, that was uh Kareem's one mistake because he's That's the true. reason they picked him up. Right. So, but, but besides that, is causing a lot more mistakes here. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's off the rails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's off the rails. So maybe we'll bring it to a close with one last scene that's been lingering and going on and missed all this, which is the political game. And this is what's going to take us to part two, because it's where Rap really hatches his plan of what to do with Nash. So we let we last saw them on the side of the Parkway, GW Parkway, no shoulder. We'll move on. But he laid out Nash and sent him home, right? And Rap, meanwhile, goes to meet with who he thought he was going to see the president. Um, but instead, the meeting is moved to Langley, where he meets with Kennedy and this political operative, Gabe Dickerson. And Dickerson has an interesting proposal of why the president doesn't want to get his you know, feet wet and his hands dirty with the CIA, he needs some level of plausible deniability, but at the same time, he does want to let Rap Kennedy do what they got to do to go find these guys because the FBI's got nothing. The president is pissed. The FBI, using all the proper protocol, the protocols and investigative authorities they have, has nothing. They have no leads, zero idea about who these guys are who hit the the restaurants and killed, you know, government personnel, including cabinet members. But this Gabe Dickerson, I want to ask you about him, but let me give you this description. What do you think about his role and who he is and what he's offering to rap? But let me first um, share with you a description. So here's what Vince writes. He knew he'd better damn well be careful because Gabe Dickerson was to politics what rap was to the intelligence business. Their tools were different, of course, but they were both experts at getting things done behind the scenes. 
while rap dealt with problems in an often unpleasant and violent way, Dickerson was known to be every bit as ruthless. The big difference was that while Rap was used to using his fists and a gun, Dickerson used his Rolodex and a small cadre of litigators, publicists, and political operatives to destroy his enemies or curry favor with his clients. I'm thinking like a Stu Garrett type figure. Yeah, but not as not as arrogant. Not as vicious. I'm I'm thinking like a like a Harvey. More Dent. professional, maybe. Maybe more professional. Yeah. I don't know, just way more suave and and right. and fluid and yeah, he's like a lethal agent in in the terms of the political game, the political but yeah, arena. I no, I got it. Not, uh, although he has been canceled. Um he reminds me of um <laughs> uh cancel everybody. <laughs> oh, why am I blanking on his name? Frank Underwood. Like a Frank Underwood type character, you know, right. from House of Cards. Like, that's who I think of when that description. This this political mastermind who is going to be able to fix everything. Because Garrett, you know, Garrett is way, is really like that, the Michael, Ke- Michael Kelly character. The, more um, sneaky. The more sneaky guy. He's very, you sure. know, shifty. Um but it, just to do an, like a House of Cards, I, I totally think he's he's like President Underwood. Or the part of Frank, Frank Underwood. Underwood I'll agree with is the shake hands, slap backs, have a cigar, play that game. I feel like Gabe Dickerson fits that persona, but not the turn around and stab you in the literal sense of like murder. Um, oh, he, yeah, no, not. I mean, so he's Frank Underwood. In Un- the, Underwood like, goes off the rails when he starts killing sense. like the reporter yeah. and, and uh, yeah. spoiler alert, I guess, if you haven't seen House of Cards five years ago or 10 years ago, whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. But like the whole political backstabbing, political backstabbing, not real yeah. live backstabbing. And so Dickerson basically is here to offer and say, since the president can't come out and say he has trust in the CIA and wants to give you, you know, carte blanche, let's try to work something out. You guys obviously want some brownie points. You know, you definitely want some good publicity. And Kennedy's like, we could use that right now, right, for her job and just her organization. And so Gabe says. I'll put you out there as a hero. Let the whole world know, rap, that you saved the country. You saved our intelligence, you know, apparatus at the NCTC. Let's tell the world and un- declassify everything you did and accept an award for it. And think of that as the president's way to congratulate the CIA or really, you know, show faith in what you guys are doing. And rap's like, hell no. He's like, he's like, there's no way you're putting me on TV with cameras or you're shouting out anything I did. Yeah, it's just not who he is. But he just benched Nash, right? He put Nash on his ass and, and sent him home and said, on the take show. a break. Yep. And so Rap's like, maybe this is my chance to um, really protect Nash and his family by giving him an out, whether he likes it or not. Actually, he won't like it. But Rap is kind of gung-ho and... um Let's let Nash play that role and even calls Maggie and tells her, hey, I got a plan. I know it's been hard for your family, but if you work with me, we can get Mike on a better path that doesn't involve him quite possibly not coming home at night. Yeah. And this, you know, uh, first of all, I thought this whole this whole part of the book just dragged on. It was like seven chapters in a row. We got this right whole long narrative. Putting that aside, the whole rap going from hating this plan, storming out, 
then be like, wait, this may be my, like you said, he's always changing, you know, very, very think on his feet kind of guy. He's like, wait, this is how I get him out. And I thought it was very interesting how he said multiple times, either in his head or to Kennedy, how I'm worth, I'm worthless, but like, I'm a lost cause. Yep. I'm not worth anything right now. Nash has, Nash is a family man. He has something that I could never have that I always wanted and that I don't want him to lose. And you mentioned that in the last book too, how he has a family. He wants him to, he wants to save him and his family. And this is going to lead to, you know, come to fruition in the end where his wife's in on the deal and Nash has to be outed or is outed. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I like to see this rap thinking on his feet, coming up with his idea or turning this idea into his favor. There was this other line where rap was like, I'm not doing that. There is a secret file in a vault somewhere with all the medals of people that sign up for this job who never get recognized. Those are the people who should be outed. Not me, you know, like that's, I love that line right there. You know, he, he's the ultimate sacrifice man and never wants the glory, doesn't care, always wants others to get it. So, yeah, I think this is a great plan, especially because it'll pivot Nash to be the to be the head. And what I thought was going to happen was Vince was, you know, before then reading, Vince was grooming him to be like Irene's replacement, you know? Right. Well, this whole storyline could, and I still hope, fingers crossed, even in the current rap universe, I still hope him getting out in this way with the public acknowledgement could lead to a life of public service uh, down the road. I'm still holding out hope that Mike Nash has a place in the U.S. government in some capacity. They so. did say, I think at one point in one of these novels, that he was very presidential-like. Like he, he had the kind of chops to run for president. Exactly, exactly. He has a lot of dirty laundry in his closet, though. <laughs> no, he does. He does. But we've been saying, right, with all these presidents, don't you want somebody who has been there and done that? Um, who, who who quite honestly knows and has been in the field, you know, doing what like rap does. Like both presidents so far were behind rap, but it took them getting involved, right? right. Hayes had to be taken to the bunker during a terrorist attack and you know, right. the White House was hit. Alexander then, had to have his wife, you know, Alexander had killed. his wife blown up. Exactly. So I feel like we want a president who is in and Nash is already in. It's not going to take a catastrophe if he were to be, you know, sitting in the chair, it wouldn't take a catastrophe to convince him to, you know, let loose Kennedy and rap and the CIA. But with the new president, it sounds like Kyle's giving us, Woo, there's going to be a lot else going on with uh rap 20 enemy at the gates. I'm, I'm super intrigued for this novel. So dude, can't wait. I was just going to say, can we wrap this up with appreciating some of the, the work that Vince has done to get at what rap and Nash are going through and their differences. If you can give me one more quote to read, it's a long one I put together when rap is thinking of how he and Nash are different and why he really wants this for Mike. So rap's talking to Kennedy and says, I think he's afraid he's going to become me. He has a family to go home to at night and he has to somehow shut down this portion of his brain that deals with all this crap. He has to be a father, a husband when he knows damn well, the world is a scary place. At some point, it creeps into your head that you might not make it home. I'd leave this shit in a heartbeat if I could turn back the clock and have Anna back. When you don't have something, 
when you don't have something that meant anything that meant more than anything in the world to you and it was taken away it's hard to imagine why anybody would want to do this shit when the price is that high i'm damaged goods he still has a shot at a semi-normal life and that's why he's going to be the face of this thing not me and i paused when reading that because rap is getting choking up here really going deep in how he wants to essentially save Nash and save the family that he could have had that Nash still does have. So I I like where we're headed with this, and I think that's a good way to set up part two of watching the storyline play out and where eventually Rap's plan is going to go and it's going to work out. There there is one more scene I want to just discuss, like sort of right after this, that I thought was interesting with you. It's a scene where Rap has obviously put this plan into motion. And he takes this little plane trip to this little island, Santa Marina, is that what he says? Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the Atlantic, where he meets with the head of the GGSC and like the the counterintelligence head of MI6. What did you think of the scene? Like the Brits and the French. This had a James Bondy It did. Uh type. Uh or like the Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, like Totally. You know, the head of the CIA and the head of the MI6 or MI5, whatever, coming yeah. coming together. I I really enjoyed this scene. And like the little detail that Rap puts into like the files and how like at Langley they have like different color codings and yep. top secret or compartmentalized, whatever put on top, and how these guys are true spycraft people where this is some of the most important information that they have, which eventually they're going to like literally spill to wrap all the information on the events of the last book, as well as they know who these terrorists are now. They've um, ID'd They them. give them a picture. They ID them, right? I think they ID Hakeem, but not Kareem yet. They they have the name Kareem and that like his nickname, like the little lion of Al-Qaeda. They don't have a picture. Right. And they're able to ID. They find the brother of Ahmed, who's also on the, on the run, right? But like the fact that like this stuff is in a plain Manila folder or like a crumpled up like old folder, you know, like no one would think to do that. And his description of like on these files, which I never understood these files, where they don't have a lock, they don't have a cipher. They have this little like turn thingy that goes around in the figure eight, a string, and. Ben says, it's not going to protect it, but it, what it does is gives you one last chance to think. One last cause for pause. Do I really want to read this? Because you can get a, yeah. he's like, you can get a lot of shit for reading a file that you're not supposed to be reading. Yeah. I, I love that description. And th- th- I just want to end, end this podcast here. Like, when we're about to get into our winners and losers, the plot of this first half is kind of boring to me. Agreed. And I think that maybe it was boring to me because of the things we pointed out. It's heavily reliant on the last book. And the fact that we know the ending, because this is a reread, it just, it didn't live up to how I'm imagining it probably read on initial reading. But the little descriptions that Vince puts in are very well highlighted in this book. And his descriptions of Hurley, his descriptions of these little spycraft things. Yep. That's what, really stood out to me in this novel. I I can't agree more. That scene encapsulates it. It's those little details. And at one time, the head of the French uh, intelligence organization shows Rap the file and says, don't touch it. We don't want your fingerprints on it. 
like all these little details are just fantastic. So the little details at Lake Anna of Hurley and foreshadowing Rap's training. The pickup scene when they pick up uh, Adams in New York City and they're spying on him and this conversation he's having with the lawyer when he's spilling the beans. I agree with you. The individual details and some scenes really nail it. But I've got to go with, like you said, our biggest loser is the pacing, the plot. We don't have much of a compelling action story at all. Was a gun fired in this entire half of the book? Uh, yeah, to kill the, well, the, the, the one the shot that, that like almost kills Glenn Adams and the, the terrorist firing on the, um, the father and the uh, son. On the father and son. But oh. yeah, besides that. Dude, another little detail. When Hurley fires and just misses Glenn Adams because Rap pushes it out of the way, they can't hear. I love how they have to step outside, and even for a few minutes, Rap is like, we're, he's describing what it's like to not be able to hear after a gunshot. Yeah. And how he has to use his other senses to communicate. No, like, I did the audio book. De- that detail. And the, the way, I guess, Vince wrote it and the way that George Waddell reads it, it almost makes you feel as if you just went through that. Like, does that make sense? It's like, yeah, no, it does. Like, you're I'm experiencing, on a yeah, like you're experiencing exactly what the characters are experiencing yeah. by the way of writing, the way, and then the the way that Goodell reads it to me. Like, I felt like a concussion bomb or, or a gunshot just went off. That that was really right. interesting. Like, I'm glad you picked up on that and reminded me. Yeah. So, I mean, just final reactions. Love some of the writing. Love some of the details. I think I read a whole lot of quotes this time because. Either when I'm really liking a book, I will either highlight a whole lot of stuff because I'm like, this is awesome, or I'll highlight nothing because I am just freaking reading and I'm all in. This one I was highlighting a lot because it was all I had. I just had these like <laughs> right. little quotes and descriptions, and I wasn't really enjoying the story that much. So that's why I had a lot of quotes because I needed some good writing to you know keep me powering through the story. And so we got that. The winner was some great individual scenes in detail. The loser... The plot's not gripping. It's not compelling. It reads as a denouement or part two of Extreme Measures and um, doesn't work that much so far as its own novel. Well, here's to hoping that next pod we, you know, the action picks up, which I think it does. I think it does. So it, it'll be good. And I remember like the end scene, like it's kind of like a chase in right. Washington, D.C. So they do come back to uh, D.C. I think they're on the mall. On the mall, yeah. yeah. I think like that's probably the coolest part of this novel, and we'll we'll definitely sure. dive into that. And we got it. We we haven't we didn't mention him yet, but we we do get a lot of Scott in this novel. And uh, there's a particular scene in a nightclub next At time. The club. We'll exactly. get into that. You know, yep, yep, we'll, yep. we'll we'll dissect uh, for Steph K the Scott's Scott's actions in this novel. We'll even get one more character. We get Mick Reavers. So a we lot do. coming up in part two. And and here's the thing, even if we're not super high on part two. Guys, stick around for June. American Assassin is around the corner. It's just around the corner, guys. I am so hyped. So Caroline just got... You got to get Rosie on it because Caroline, I downloaded the audio book for her. She's she's now commuting an hour and a half to work every day. So <laughs> she's going to she's gonna blow through this audio book and we're going to have her on the pod. I want to have Rosie on the pod, yeah. wives pod. Yeah, I just... Before we left for South Carolina, I said hardcover or paperback. I got both. Which one do you want? We're taking it on the trip so you can get started reading. <laughs> nice. Yep. Nice. Cool. All right. So next time 
when you hear us. We are going to be breaking down part two of Pursuit of Honor. Look out for that. If you haven't finished it or you haven't reread it again, go ahead and check that out. Or just check out the last scene because I'm pretty sure that's going to be most of our content next time. The best part of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we have to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please, can't say this enough, subscribe, rate, review us using your favorite podcasting platform, especially Apple Podcasts. You can find us at MitchRapPod.com or using our Twitter or Instagram handle at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.